All right. Political theory and um, other stuff. Mike and Paul here doing The Racial Contract by Charles W. Mills. Today we are starting Chapter 2, Details. And uh, Paul, if you want to start her off here. Let's do it. So Chapter 2. So that gives us the overview. Let us now move, which we just concluded. <laughs> Let us now move to a closer examination of the details and workings of the racial contract, its norming of space and the subperson, its relation to the official social contract and the terms of its enforcement. Section one. The racial contract norms and races space demarcating civil and wild spaces. Neither space nor the individual is usually an object of explicit and detailed norming for the mainstream social contract. Space is just there taken for granted, and the individual is tacitly posited as the white adult male, so that all individuals are obviously equal. But for the racial contract, space itself and the individuals therein are not homogenous, so explicit normative distinctions necessarily have to be made. I will treat the norming of space and the person separately, though uh, exegesis is complicated by the fact that they are bound up together. The norming of space is partially done in terms of the racing of space. The depiction of space is dominated by individuals, whether persons or subpersons, of a certain race. At the same time, the norming of the individual is partially achieved by spacing it, that is, representing it as imprinted with the characteristics of a certain kind of space. So this is a mutually supporting characteriz characterization that, for subpersons, becomes a circular indictment. You are what you are, in part, because you originate from a certain kind of space. And that space has those properties in part because it is inhabited by creatures like yourself. You know, like the, obviously that was a huge portion behind Manifest Destiny, right? Like these people don't know how to use the land. We're going to spread a non-savage land and a non-savage lifestyle to these people. The supposedly abstract but actually white social contract characterizes European space basically as pre-sociopolitical, the state of nature, and post-sociopolitical, the locus of civil society. But this characterization does not reflect negatively on the characteristics of the space itself or its denizens. This space is our space, a space in which we, we white people, are at home, a cozy domestic space. At a certain stage, white people seeing the disadvantages of the state of nature voluntarily choose to leave it, thenceforth establishing institutions transforming its character. But there is nothing innate in the space or the persons that connotes intrinsic defect. By contrast, in the social contract's application to non-Europe, where it becomes the racial contract, both space and its inhabitants are alien. So this space and these individuals need to ex be explicitly theorized about, since, it turns out, they are both defective in a way that requires external intervention to be redeemed, insofar that is has redemption is possible. Europeans, or at least full Europeans, were civilized, and this condition was manifested in the character of the spaces they inhabited. Non-Europeans were savages, and this condition was manifested in the character of the space they inhabited. In fact, as had been pointed out, this habitation is captured in the etymology of savage itself, which derives from the Latin silvo, meaning wood, so that the savage is the wild man of the wood, Sylvaticus, Homo Sylvestris, the man into whose being wildness, wilderness, has so deeply penetrated that the door to civilization, to the political, is barred. You can take the wild man out of the wilderness, but you can't take the wilderness out of the wild man. The wild man is a crucial figure in medieval thought, 
the domestic antipode within Europe of civilization and is one of the conceptual antecedents of the later extra-European savages. As Hayden White points out, the creation of the wild man illustrates the technique of ostensive self-definition by negation. I'm going to read that again. The technique of ostensive self-definition by negation. The characterization of oneself by reference to what one is not. Who are we? We are the non-savages. Thus, it is really here, in the real-life racial contract, as against the mythical social contract, that the state of nature and the natural play their decisive uh, and the natural play their decisive theoretical role. They are in the state of nature, and we are not. Englishmen, writes Roy Harvey Pierce, found in America not only an uncivilized environment, but uncivilized men, natural men, as it was said, living in a natural world. Uh, and it's hard not to think about these things as it's just that in modern times, like when I encounter people and I'm going to post, put it more from my anecdotal experience, but like religious folks who are so upset that I'm not religious or things of that nature. It's just that I hate that need for control, you know, like, oh, these people don't live how we do, so they better live how we live or they're total pieces of shit. Like, it's that I hate that people can't just be comfortable with their life. Like, if it makes you happy, that's good. Why do you need it to make other people happy, too? Your happiness isn't enough of a justification for your lifestyle. I just hate it. It makes me so uncomfortable. Well, it's not even that. It's like um, they have like a quote unquote objectively better lifestyle, right. right, in their mind. So it's not about them. It's not about happiness. And in fact, especially with the religious stuff, oftentimes you could argue that um, Puritans were less happy yeah, than than their native counterparts. But the fact was is that they believed it was a uh, objectively more moral and more righteous lifestyle, and it behooved them to bestow that upon others. Right. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And it, but it's that intolerance of even the other existence, you know? Like, I'd be okay if you're like, hey, this lifestyle's worked out super well for me. Let me show you the benefits of it, and we'll stop there. But it's like, mm, this, my lifestyle needs to be the legal code for this fucking place. And if you're not living this lifestyle, and you fucking savage. Uh, yeah, it just, yep. you know, I'm not adding anything, but it just is one of the things that makes me most uncomfortable about the society that we live in. That, that attack yep. on other lifestyles as opposed to... Yeah, totally, totally. I totally agree. Correspondingly, the racial contract in its early pre-conquest versions must necessarily involve the uh, pe pejorative characterization of the spaces that need taming, the spaces in which the racial polities are eventually going to be constructed. The racial contract is thus necessarily more openly material than the social contract. These strange landscapes, so unlike those at home, this alien flesh so different from our own, must be mapped and subordinated. Creating the civil and the political here thus requires an active uh, spatial struggle. This space is resistant against the savage and the barbaric. In advancing of the frontier against opposition, a Europeanization of the world. Europe, in quotes, as Mary Lewis Pratt notes, came to see itself as a planetary process <clears throat> rather than simply a region of the world. Space must be normed and raced at the macro level, entire countries and continents, the local level, city neighborhoods, and ultimately even the micro level of the body itself. 
the contaminated and contaminating carnal halo of the non-white body. There are two main dimensions to this norming, the epistemological and the moral. The epistemological dimension is the corollary of the preemptive restriction of knowledge to European colonizers, right? Uh, Cognizers, sorry. Cognizers, sorry, yeah, okay. Uh, The epistemological dimension is the corollary of the preemptive restriction of knowledge to the European cognizers. So I'm guessing is like thinkers? I don't even... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Uh, which implies that in certain spaces, real knowledge knowledge of science uh, universals is not possible. Significant cultural achievement, intellectual progress, is thus denied to those spaces, which are deemed, failing European intervention, to be permanently locked into a cognitive state of superstition, of superstition and ignorance. One real quick point, I just thought of it while that you were reading that sentence, is we still do that today. Like, Obviously, but uh, even discussing like ancient non-European civilizations, like an example would be like the Aztecs or the Mayans or whatever. So many white people are like, A, attach it all to just superstition. Like they couldn't have had any scientific motivation behind anything they did. And then B, they're always, I can't tell you how many people I've met who's like, well, they couldn't have done that. It must have been aliens or, and it's just like, no, dude, they were just fucking super smart humans with the same gifts that you and I have. And they were able to do these things in the same way that groups of humans are able to accomplish this shit. You assholes. (laughs) Like, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've gotten into this argument and, uh, people, you know, I don't try to tell people you're being racist, but I'm like, you're being very like privileged right now assuming that other people can't be as smart as you and it just seems like a hard concept for me to get across to people something i need to work on well no it's absolutely true that um the idea that the aliens came and and helped these these people and uh and these people and then these people didn't need help um is inherently a racist idea you know yeah that's for sure how i feel Sorry for the interruption. It just no, no. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Valentine uh, Mubabe or Mud Mudimbe Mudimbi. Sorry, Valentine. We think you're important. Yeah, sorry. We're just not good yep. at pronouncing stuff. Reading stuff refers to this as an epistemological ethnocentrism. Countervailing evidence may then be treated in different ways. It may simply be destroyed. As, for example, the invading Spanish conquistadors conquistadors burned Aztec manuscripts. It may be explained away. This is exactly what we were talking about. Um, It may be explained away as resulting from the intervention of outsiders. For example, from a previously unknown contact with whites, uh, in quotes, since Africans could produce nothing of value, the technique of... What is that? Yoruba statuary? I don't know what that is, but... Yeah, Yoruba statuary must have come from Egyptians. Uh, Bien art must be a Portuguese creation. The architectural uh, achievement of Zimbabwe was due to Arab technicians. And uh, Hassa... What is that? Hassa and... and Buganda. Hassa and Buganda statecraft were inventions of white invaders. Think of the favorite of comics, ad- adventure novels, B-movies. The lost white tribe whose legacy is discovered in some faraway, uh, otherwise benighted place on the earth and which 
is responsible for whatever culture the hapless non-white natives may possess. Sometimes even in ex, uh, what is that? Extraterrestrial. Ex- the aliens. Is exactly oh, <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Okay. Okay. Sometimes even an extraterrestrial origin may be sought. As the desert drawings in South America have been attributed to alien visitors, similarly, independently of the evidential outcome of the controversy recently stimulated by the claim of Martin Ber- Bernal's Black Athena, that ancient Egypt was a significant cultural influence on ancient Greece, and that it was to a large extent a black civilization. One can surely infer that a at least some of the resistance to the idea in establishment white scholarship comes from the aporistic. Yeah, probably. Sorry, aporistic. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm guessing it's like uh, oh, kind of like appropriating. No, I feel like um, what what about the oh, uh, um, like. Uh, like a priori. Yeah, that's probably a much more. Right? So the a priori um, or apparistic pre, um, presumption. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, the apparistic uh, presumption that no such achievement could really have come from black uh, and ultimately sub-Saharan Africa. The phrase... Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa is itself, in fact, a uh, geographic marker motivated by the racial contract. Finally, the cultural achievements of others may simply be appropriated by Europe without acknowledgement, in effect denying the reality that the West has always been a multicultural creation. This norming is, of course, also manifested in the vocabulary of quote, discovery and, quote, exploration, still in use until recently, basically implying that if no white person has been there before, then cognition cannot really have taken place. In Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad's Marlowe pours over the globe and notes that there were many blank uh, spaces on the earth, and this blankness signifies not merely that Europeans have not arrived, but that these spaces have not arrived. A blankness of the inhabitants themselves. Africa is thus the dark continent because of the... Uh, Paucity? I'm going to look that up. What is that? It is the presence of something only in small or insufficient quantities. Okay. Because of the paucity of remembered Europe contact with it. Okay. Correspondingly, there are uh, rituals of naming which serve to seize the ter- uh, the terrain of these new worlds and incorporate them into our world. New England, New Holland, New France, in a word, New Europe's. Cultural spatial extensions of Europe. They are domesticated, transformed, made familiar, made a part of our space brought into the world of European, which is human, cognition, so they can be knowable and known. Knowledge, science, and the ability to apprehend the world the world intellectually are thus restricted to Europe, uh, which emerges as the global locus of rationality, uh, at least for the European 
cognitive uh, agent who will be the one to validate local knowledge claims. In order for these spaces to be known, European perception is required. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure he'll talk about it because I love talking about things that will come right up. Um, But it's also like that concept of even when Europeans do the same thing, it's better. Like uh, homesteaders and stuff. Like we always talk about how tough they were living in the wilderness and stuff. But Indians doing the same thing are savages, even though and Native Americans were doing it in a much more symbiotic way you know like they weren't constantly stressing about starvation they understood the world they were in um, but that's looked as savagery but yet we in today's culture still idolize and kind of mystify the the settlers that went into the west you know it's just we don't give if you're not white you can't get credit for anything it seems yep uh morally vice and virtue are spatialized first on the macro level of a moral cartography that accompanies the literal european mapping of the world so that entire regions countries indeed continents are invested with moral qualities thus mudimbe uh, describes the geography of monstrosity of early european cartography which in a framework still largely theological partitions the known world and points out where there be dragons Non-European space is thus demonized in a way that implies the need for Europeanization if moral redemption is to be possible. The link between the cognitive and the moral, of course, connects the failure to perceive natural law with moral flaw. The darkness of the dark continent is not merely the absence of a European presence, but a blindness to Christian light, which necessarily results in a moral blackness, superstition, devil worship. Appropriately, then, one of the medieval cartog cartographic traditions was the uh, Mapa Mundi, the map of the world organized not on a grid system, but around the Christian cross with Jerusalem at the center. Similarly, European settlers in America described the area beyond the mountains as Indian country, the dark and bloody ground, a howling wilderness inhabited by savages and wild beasts, or sometimes even Sodom and Gomorrah. And the society they saw themselves founding was correspondingly sometimes referred to as the new Canaan. So much, and I'm probably being so stupid here, so this is me not attributing to anybody else, so much of European culture is built on fanboy nerddom. What do you mean by that? But they just chose the Bible, you know? Like, it's just like, so much of, they talk about people being, you know, outsiders being superstitious, worshipping the devil. It's like, yeah, dude, they didn't even invent those stupid concepts. Like... This is your fictional cosplay that you're forcing on to everybody else. You know, it would be like, uh, and it, yeah, it's just frustrating to me to, and I see it in like where I live in the South, these like conservatives are, they're just nerds of a, like the extreme conservatives are just nerds of a different variety. You know, they're super into guns and dressing up like GI Joe and shit, but it's still not reality. You know, they're not actually going out and fighting wars or whatever. It's to me the exact same shit. Uh, and but less cool and less creative than fucking getting dressed up and playing a game of D and D. You know, it's like at least, but at least one side acknowledges that it's not fucking reality. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, I, I will say that um, uh, I think that um, from what I've read and what I understand, I feel like that the Muslims and uh, and even to a certain extent, like that that the Hindus were um, as passionate about oh, yeah. their. Um, their like fictional uh universe as uh as the christians were for sure you know for sure and i should have just said religion instead of yeah uh, right wingers but 
Or, well, really, I mean, uh, I would say that, I mean, obviously, pre-French Revolution, right-wingers doesn't make sense. But after the French Revolution, anyone that, that is a uh, uh, religious conservative, whether they be Islamic uh, or Hindu or whatever, are right-wingers, yeah, you know? Yeah, you know. Like, I, I love those vi- those uh, images of the the um, the a Christian white girl holding her Bible and her uh, AR, and then the the I- Islamic or Muslim lady holding her Quran and her AK. You know, it's just like yeah, it's, it's the, the same, same shit, shit. You know, it's y'all Qaeda, yo, y'all Qaeda. Yeah, um, seriously. Yeah, and it's just it's it's just a frustrating reality to live in sometimes. And maybe I'm the idiot. It could always be that way. But I guess the difference between me being an idiot and them being an idiot is I'm fine with them being a Christian. And they're not fine with me not being a Christian. Uh, and I think that is the huge thing in a lot of the things we're talking about is, dude, I'm fine with whatever you people want to do as long as you're not hurting me or the people around you. Uh, can't you just grant the same extension? Like that false martyrdom, like, oh my God, we're so persecuted. We're only 74% of the country. How are we ever going to recover? On those awesome notes... Next time we'll be finishing off. We'll be finishing off this section, and uh, the next section will be. Hold on. Um, it will be. Um, we'll be getting to um, the racial contract norms and races, the individual establishing personhood and subpersonhood. So we look forward to doing that next time. Hell yeah! Thank you for listening. Have a great day.